Welcome back to the Make It Count podcast <laughs> and it's great to be here. Um, Matt and I are just starting off with this new episode. We like to make it count and we like to find resources and talk about resources that have helped us make it count. You know, because sometimes we look back and go, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, Matt. Mm. But actually, we can call on wisdom from the past to help us make it count moving forward. Absolutely. So, Matt, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we've decided we're going to do a series, but not all in a row. <laughs> and it's going to be on a very famous book in, in this sort of arena. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by... Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey. Uh, we're going to do one habit, an episode, and we'll just pop one out every now and again when we feel like it. Maybe once a month, maybe not. Hmm. So... This week, we're going to tackle the first habit. And before we talk about the first habit, I think it's useful to talk about what habits are. Mm. And he basically talks about you need three things, right? You need the knowledge, you need the desire, and you need the skills. So that, yep. that sort of that comes together to make a habit. You have to know what you want to do. You have to have that desire for wanting it. And then you have to know how to do that sure. so i just think that's a bit of a foundation yeah maybe we would disagree that the main goal here is to be effective people although mm. we don't necessarily want to be ineffective people yeah but actually these are very helpful and even foundational probably or, or definitely impacted the way i choose to live my life for sure yeah i suppose i think the idea of is the ultimate aim to be effective well it does depend on what you're your aim is, if you want to be benevolent and helpful person in the world, by all means, let's make you effective. But if you want to be evil and horrible to people, uh, if we can make you ineffective, that's probably better. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, that caveat aside. Yeah, what you're aiming for does matter. We, we want does. some people to be very effective if, like you said, they're being benevolent, loving, kind, merciful, uh, and perhaps if, if they're not, yeah, they're yeah. ineffective. Yeah. So if you want to be evil, stop listening now. <laughs> we don't want to aid you in that cause. Right. Right, all you good people still Moving listening. on. <laughs> the first habit, Matt, is... Be proactive. Yeah. I didn't realise this. I was quickly skimming the book before we started talking. Uh, he, uh, he gets that idea, and that idea is really common now. Everyone talks about proactive. That word basically first came about because of Viktor Frankl, whom... We've done an episode about. Ooh, wow. so, so Stephen Covey talks about Viktor Frankl and how that was some of his inspiration for being proactive. There we go. And he ties it together with this idea of stimulus response. It's a really common psychological thing. You know, something happens, there's an automatic response, almost like a reflex. Yeah. You know? So, but then he goes, being proactive is recognizing that we have a responsibility, i.e., a response ability we have the ability to choose huh. our response wow that's really good and that's what it means to be proactive i like that uh, i mean i always like wordplay so i like that response ability we have an ability to determine our response absolutely and that that's a lot of the discussion we've had about moving from sort of default to design isn't it and we were even talking about that last last episode when we're living by default, there is no gap between the stimulus hitting us and us responding automatically to how we have been habituated. 
Uh, and often those are in directions that maybe take our lives not where we want them to. Mm. So, um, diving into then being proactive, he talked about this stimulus and response. Is there, I don't know, is there a, a model he takes us through or do you want to quickly talk through a little bit more about what that means? Well, as I, again, just before, just before we uh, started recording, I flicked through and I went, there's more models in this chapter than I remember there being. In this uh-huh. <laughs> and, and there are a few that we could maybe talk about. But I think we shouldn't gray, or skim over the fact that we as human beings have an ability to choose our response. For sure. The, the, there are so many times when we respond out of reactivity or automaticity. Is that even a word? Automatically? Oh, yeah, we just automatically respond. And actually, we regret those moments. Mm. And if we'd taken a moment, that like split second, that one second, <clears throat> expand it to five, and then go, how do I want to respond here? That could really set us up or even stop us from making some decisions that we now regret or some actions we now regret. For sure. And so I th- in being proactive, recognising that for the most part, we have an ability to choose, mm. even if, and this is why Viktor Frankl is a really important uh, person to highlight, you might look at his life and go, he spent, I think, three, four years in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. What was that about? How much choice did he really have? Well, he said, I have a choice in how I respond, how I'm thinking about this how I am engaging with other people. They can take everything about, again, you know, away from me, but they can't take what I'm thinking away and how I'm choosing to think and respond to this. Mm. And so uh, I can't remember, it was Eleanor Roosevelt sort of talks about this idea that nobody can make you feel a way. You only can give them permission to let you make them make yourself feel that way. Right. So I, I can't make you feel something. You can't make me feel angry or like, sad. Or I can whatever. do something that might potentially stimulate anger in you. But I but choose. you choose to go with that or not. Sure. Yeah. And that's it doesn't feel that way often though, does it? No. And that's probably why we get into so many conflicts and even just cede control. In the language we he made me so angry she did this to me right. whatever and that's probably why one of the first things is this awareness that we have a choice if we're so used to just reacting and responding to our environment and to the people around us that do things then we are at the mercy of our environment yes and actually to realize that <laughs> yeah you have a responsibility but you also have a responsibility to recognise you can choose how you're going to respond. Yeah. <clears throat> and as we've spoken before, awareness is the start mm. of pretty much any intentional change. So now you guys, you're aware. You've got no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's not easy because sometimes things happen that are just unfair and they're out of our control. And yes. yet we still can choose how to respond and let's be honest mm. uh, <laughs> neither of us have done that well at times in our life for sure sometimes we've done it better most of the time i feel like ah yeah it's good to come back to this to remind me that i can do better <laughs> yeah absolutely just knowing 
that we have the ability to change our response can sometimes be enough to to then take a different path than we would have. Mm. It is empowering to know you have this ability, but I suppose it is also a a challenge. Will I take up that responsibility mm. and and wield it, or will I allow myself to just go by default still and just go to reacting to whatever the stimulus is mm. and blaming the environment, blaming others, and, and ceding all, um, well, yeah, uh, not claiming any responsibility for that. Mm. So it's challenging as well as empowering. Mm. And so probably, and this this is a concept that many people will have come across that I'm about to talk about in a moment, but maybe most, many people don't realise this is where it probably came from first. Right. Which is this idea of circle of control and mm. circle of concern. And that there are some things that we can control. Our words, our actions, what we're cooking for that for dinner that evening, those sorts of things. But there are some things that concern us. And that's a much bigger circle. The weather that day was going on geopolitically in the world, maybe. You know, maybe even just what your favourite sports team is, how they're doing. Yeah, and that concerns us. But we can't control it. Mm. And this recognition that... Uh, we shouldn't spend too much of our time on things that concern us but are out of our control. Sure. Now, there is a middle area, which is like the circle of influence. Right. So you might say, in the UK anyway, you can't control, definitely, the political landscape. And there's very little you can even influence. But you probably can. You could write to your local MP and hopefully say something. And start, whatever. Not mean, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, send abuse. You can you influence know, you know, through engaging, through, but you cannot just control. Yeah, you can't. Say, we don't live in a I'm dictatorship. I'm going to make this MP do what I tell him to do. Sure. And I'm going, you know, whatever. So, but just this recognition of the circle of control and the circle of influence, and then the, the circle of concern. Right. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Absolutely, I've definitely heard this concept a number of times. I think I did know it came from here. I. I always had it in my mind, though, of just the circle of control and the circle of influence, mm. which was interesting. I didn't realise that the influence one was actually, in the original, at just a small medial sort of medium ground, and then you've got the, the wider circle of concern. I, I actually quite like that word, because it is. There are lots of things that concern me, <laughs> but actually I can't control them. Uh, and Have you got a story of a time when you've maybe got that right or wrong? Well, for example, you know, we're now in 2022. Two years ago, the world changed for everyone at a pretty similar time. Well, it was quite concerning and it was very tempting to spend a lot of time looking at the news all the time. Now, obviously, there were things that was in my control. I could obey the mandate to stay inside and not go to work and all those things. And that's what I was able, that's why I did. But continually looking at everything that was going on, that was spending all my time, all my attention in the circle of concern, not in the circle of control. I couldn't do anything to change the spread of the virus around the world, but I was like probably many of us, spending quite a lot of time. And then very quickly that became overwhelming, overtiring. And so then I went completely the opposite and shut off all attention for it for a while. So there's something there maybe, which is a 
overspending time in there it leads to burnout really quickly mm. um, but I mean the interesting thing he talks about in his book is if you spend too much time in the circle of concern you actually reduce your circle of influence because uh, and, and even just thinking about that or other people we've all come across the people that are ranting and raving about everything and slowly you just like start backing away and people and going, stop listening yeah, and you're angry really at everything and everyone and you're just yeah, spending wow. so much time talking about things you can't control you're feeling now helpless yes and actually you're giving off a vibe of that and people are not drawn to that usually wow there we go how about you dave when there's a time you've done it well uh yeah i think about this a few years ago I was a self-employed sports coach. Something that concerns every sports coach that works outdoors. The weather. The weather. <laughs> How much control do I have over the weather? None. And <laughs> But what can I control? What clothes I'm wearing. And I, you know, I remember doing a lot of tennis coaching. I don't know why, but in January and February in the UK. And it would be <laughs> such a strange thing. Yeah. Why are people dark, wanting tennis coaching wet, in January and February? It's miserable. The kids are miserable. You're miserable. Anyway, every, no, they weren't. They were having a great time. You just have to do it differently. You're less standing around, more running around. Almost that more athletics. Sense. But then you're on a court. Any skating around? Skating? We, we don't get it quite that cold. But I just remember you, <laughs> you're sitting in the car as long as possible. You've got three pairs of trousers on, four pairs of socks on. You've, you know, you've got... Four pairs of socks? Uh, maybe not four, but it's definitely two or three. And, <laughs> and the big shoes as well. And you're still cold and, you know, you've got two T-shirts on, two jumpers and a ski jacket and wow. a hat and some gloves. And you think, I'm standing here coaching. You know, I'm of not course, involved. you're not I'm running just around. standing still on a court for three hours yeah, so on a this. Friday afternoon. Mm. Um, and, and yeah... Uh, for some reason, I don't really remember that being too discouraging. Like, I wasn't sure. like, oh, stupid weather. It's so it's cold just, and rubbish and horrible. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, I'm going to hope it's going to be, I'm gonna, it's, it's going to be sunny today. Go out in a shorts and t-shirt. No, like, it's just, you know, sure. if it's sunny in the summer, you put sun cream on and a hat, you know, yeah. and probably sunglasses. And I, I think, yeah, there's a, there's a recognition. And I think that's the important thing. Do, you can't just have, and what you said, your attention probably on the circle of control because there are things in your circle of concern that will influence you. Yes. Nobody lives separate from the world and from everybody else. Mm. And so if you are ignorant of them, it doesn't mean they stop impacting you. Yeah. But <laughs> it's an appropriate attention to then choose how to respond. Mm. Whether that is the big things and the cost of living, you know, like most of us can't impact that, but we can choose how we respond to that emotionally, practically, financially. We we just we, it causes decisions. Now, if you're ignorant of that, it, it's going to hit you hard, yeah, yeah, but you're and then you're going to be left. Your responsibility robbed. is is hindered basically. Yeah. I like that. That's a good example, and that's a really good point as well. And as yeah, just because we're unaware of something doesn't mean it doesn't control us. In fact, actually, what was that yeah, quote John you said Wetmore, the other day? Yeah, that of which you are not aware of controls you. We can only control that of which we are aware of. For sure. So if I'm completely unaware of everything, I really shrink my circle of control quite a lot. Mm. So an appropriate time of attention or an appropriate. Um, yeah, uh, uh, interaction with the things in the circle of concern is good. Mm. 
to be aware of it, but to recognize it is firmly out of my control. Maybe over time I can put a bit of influence into that area, but it's not in my direct control. Mm. So if I control what I can with that knowledge. So I think being proactive, the opposite of that is being reactive. This is yeah. basically choosing. And it's not just in response to other things, though that is a significant part. It might be to be intentionally doing something, at, you know, you're planning ahead of it, that we can choose what actions we take. And this is where I like the, the <laughs> I think it was one of the things towards the end of the chapter. He said, if you pick up one end of the stick, you have the other one. And this idea that we are free to choose the actions we take. But we're often not free then to choose the consequences that come from that action. Right. <laughs> you know, you yeah. can't detach the action from the consequence. So if you stick, pick right. up one end of the stick, you've picked up the whole stick. That includes the consequence. I like that. That's a good illustration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I have nothing to add to that thought. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're all thinking, yeah, that's true. We've taken actions that have led to certain consequences that we wish hadn't happened. You mm. know, we were free to choose that action, to choose that word, to choose this thing, but the consequence still happens. Mm. So that's that's really challenging. <laughs> that's quite helpful. I, I do like that picture. I like that, and that the it comes back to you, kind of. Whatever you choose, the consequence will come attached. Yeah. You can't pick up one stick and then choose the end from another one. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And that's why I think these are habit things. That's what it's, it's those little things. Those actions that you pick up have little consequences. We've talked about that. And maybe a good example to think about that is, is in our daily lives, how are we eating? Mm really obvious like if you're you know consistently eating unhealthily by whatever metric you use that has a consequence over time yep and that's going to be a consequence probably in our health but if we have the action of hey i'm actually i'm going to eat more vegetables and more fruit and less overall food that's an action that has consequences over time but it probably sits more in the influence than the total control. You can control what you eat, but you can't necessarily control how your body will, how your respond. Body will respond, what's in your genetics, things that happen in life. There are things that will impact us that are out of our control. Different mm. people have different susceptibilities yeah. to certain things. But it doesn't mean you can't still influence it. Huh, that's really interesting because you've talked a lot in some of your habit work and your habit course about different measures we use for success and there's this idea of kind of lead measure and a lag measure and I suppose what I'm hearing here is that the lead measure being the as you said I can control what I eat so that's the lead measure the lag measure would be what does that do for my health or what does that do for my weight so a lot of us set goals based on that lag measure what is the final result I'm after but actually, that's a really poor measure because one, it's something distant in the future, not a daily activity. But number two, actually, that's not necessarily as in my control as I think it is. Mm. Whereas if my goal is I want to eat X, Y and Z or not eat X, Y and Z, that's much more controllable 
I can tell if I'm on track that day, any mm. given day, and I'm building that successful habit. So instead of thinking, oh, I want to create a habit and I'm focusing on the thing that's in the influence, I'm going to really just focus on what's in the control mm. uh, and be choosing that intentionally. Yeah, and at the risk of adding another image to this all, I think our daily choices can either spiral us up or spiral us down. Yeah. So like this virtuous cycle or a downward spiral. Vicious. Vicious, yeah. Vicious and virtuous, brilliant. And this idea that actually if every time you have a rough day you go and overeat and whatever, then you're going to feel worse because you've now overeaten and then it's going to make another day wad and then it's going to spiral down. On the flip side, if you have a bad day, but actually you go, hey, exercise because that helps me feel good. Yeah. You get you realise that, hey, I'm more energised now. The next day you think, oh, my, my exercise again. And so you feel good again. And that means you like exercise more. And so over time, you start to, what was first a hard thing, and exercising when you first start is hard. Mm. Actually, you start, as you realise that there are immediate responses and it benefits in energy and emotion regulation and how you feel and in your mentals, that actually you, you spiral up. Yeah. And you realize you like exercising because you've done it. And so yeah. that's the daily being proactive to choose that thing. And that's why we like being proactive. And this is our opening on the seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah, I think it's been a really powerful episode. Uh, we've handled quite a few, as David said, images in this episode. But for me, I suppose what we're giving to you guys is the opportunity to take hold of a stick of responsibility. Will you take that and, uh, and that power that is with it, but also the challenge of, well, oh, I'm accepting this responsibility. It's an opportunity to affect, not just be reacted by, by you know, reacting and be affected by the environment, but to choose our response to what happens around us. Mm. And now all I'm thinking is, you can't put power and responsibility in the same sentence and not quote Spider-Man. And then I was like, but was he the first person that said it? Hmm. <laughs> anyway. Homework for anyone that wants to go on a Wikipedia hunt. <laughs> Who first used the phrase, yeah, let us know. great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> you can find the email address in the footnotes. Yeah, makeitcount.pod at gmail.com. Awesome. We love hearing from you guys. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Mm-hmm.